Hello, it's me, Rich Tang. I'm in my wife's office because the sunshine from my window in my office was oppressive. Um, uh, I hope you're well. Welcome to another episode of Rahulastapa. Uh, what's been going on with you? It's always me talking about myself, and I feel that's... I'd like to hear a little from you. No? Uh, I've just found this beside me. This is a copy of the Weird Friends Fan Club, which is written by my wife, Catherine Wilkins. I just read this, I mean, about six months after it came out. I'm a terrible husband, but it is brilliant. I'm very impressed with my amazing wife. It's a book really for um, sort of pre-teenage children. Girls probably will like it more than boys, but I'm a boy and I liked it. And uh, I would recommend it to you as an adult, if you're an adult, if you're a... If you're a pre-teenage child, don't watch this video, please. It's not for you. But you can go and and read my wife's book. If you make a J.K. Rowling, then I can can retire and you'll never have to watch this rubbish again. So think about that next time you're on Amazon. Go and buy some of her books. Any Road, this is a wonderful podcast with Frank Cottrell Boyce, uh, another fantastic author. He does write brilliant children's books too, uh, as well as being involved with the Olympics and films and, well, you'll find out all sorts. He's a wonderful, wonderful, lovely man. Um, do support us. Go to gofasterstripe.com slash badges if you would like to give us um, a tiny amount of, month, amount of money every month to keep these things going. Uh, go to richhang.com slash geeks to find out for a hell of space coming near to you. We're in London in, on Mondays in March and early April. There are tickets left for most of those shows, but they're selling pretty well. Okay, come on, let's go. Let's watch Rahula Stepper and listen to Rahula Stepper with Frank Cottrell Boyce. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Liverpool Playhouse. You're already much better than last week's one. Every last one of them was a fucking cunt. Please welcome. Please welcome a man. Who uh, is hoping to get into a fight tonight, as per usual in Liverpool? It's Richard Herring! Thank you very much! Thank you! Hello, Liverpool! It's lovely to be back. Uh, welcome to Richard Herring's Live a Bird Shagging Triathlon podcast. Uh, it's got to come up with new ideas for podcasts every time, so what I've I've got uh, three of the members of the Live Birds. Polly James, remember, was one of the Live Birds. Most of you too young for them. Their shoes from the Live Birds. Molly Sugden uh, is in it as well. Uh, got to uh, try and shag all three of them. And it's now. Not in the party, you've got to shag them now. It's not. I mean, Molly Sugden's been dead for about 25 years. It's not. It's not going to be that nice. If you want, you can have Lucy in, instead of one of the women. That's it. It's, yeah. yeah. Me too. Had nice. Don't remember the live birds. Not the actual live birds. The live birds. Oh, never mind. But I was. Uh, what was I going to do here? I was hanging around. Uh, we are, yeah. Okay. I've got. I'm there. I was hanging around uh, with the fifth McGann brother the other day. There's, um, there's five of them. You only know four of them. There's uh, the fifth one is uh, Ian McGann. And if you know him. <laughs> The McGann brothers were created by a cloning experiment. They started with Paul McGann, and then just every copy that came out just slightly uglier than the last one. It was just like, it was like Paul McGann, but just not quite as good looking every time. Ian McGann is so hideous, he's in an attic in the McGann house. He listens to a lot of podcasts. He calls it Rahal So, um, love to be here. Because uh, the people of Liverpool, I'm sure, are delighted uh, that uh, Boris Johnson is our current PM. I must be very very glad <laughs> that as we were at time of recording this information was correct uh, he called uh, people of uh, uh, Liverpool mawkish and then he's still got to be PM so uh, I've decided to call your fucking cunts and I hope I'll be president of the world one day is that's how it works that must be <laughs> how it works uh, I was down at the Albert Docks uh, earlier lovely uh, place to go uh, uh, is Liverpudlians are forced to confront their, their shameful past <laughs> by looking at this morning map in there with Fred, <laughs> the greatest show, Fred Tolbert. <laughs> it's good you still have to confront it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, um, 
that's about it. No, no, I was going to tell, tell you about how I was there. Like, 12 years ago, it is now unbelievably. I was, uh, I was in, I did a gig in uh, Liverpool. It's the last gig of. Uh, so I was doing a show called Menager, um, which was about my attempts to uh, have a threesome, which was unsuccessful up to that point. Um, and I kind of thought if I did a show about it and sort of toured the country and just begged women in the audience to go along with it, you know, eventually, just the law of averages, someone would go along with it, right? Uh, but uh, was, Liverpool was the end of the I deliberately put Liverpool last as a kind of safety net, just in, just in case it hadn't happened. And, um, I, did, I, was getting ch- I got chatted up by some girls because I was young and I'm beautiful. And, uh, and, but we ended up... I, it's, it, watch the show. Oh, fuck, I'm 40. Read the book. How not to grow up. But I ended up in a fight with a university lecturer. So it's the most middle-class fight you've ever... <laughs> Neither could actually fight. But I've made it an annual thing now that every time I come back, I do. if there are any university lecturers in who think they can take me, <laughs> do meet me after the, after the show and we'll try and... Just a little... Any, any, any university... Is the guy in the university lecture is 12 years older? I reckon he was a bit taller than me. I just had to punch him in the balls, really. That was, that was my only option. Didn't work. Uh, so, um, didn't work. But anyways, love to be back in this wonderful city. So, um, right, my guest this week is probably best known for his role as car boot dealer in Framed. Uh, I hear he only got the part because he was wanking off the writer... <laughs> Please welcome Frank Cottrell Boys, ladies and gentlemen. Actor, the actor. Paul McCartney replacement. <laughs> You're the Paul McCartney. How many phone calls were there between Paul McCartney? Paul, I, think, I think you were in before Paul McCartney. I think I got you. <laughs> and I thought I'd better get someone, I'd better get a name. <laughs> <laughs> I just the, the truth is I just signed up to a site that is not worth doing if you book uh, if you book celebrities by the way where they give you all the, the details but it costs like sixty pounds a month to be a member of this and I, and I just thought oh I'll, I'll do Paul McCartney for a laugh and they, that was the one that got back to me so <laughs> when they when they're fans of the podcast I say, oh eventually come down if you're listening Paul you're welcome in. I told him <laughs> he's welcome anytime is what I say if he turned up tonight and I said bump Frank yeah. <laughs> he, he can come to Hull you'd come you'd come across that. <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling for Hull. If anyone knows anyone who lives in Hull, <laughs> it might be funny. Let me know. Um, so there, you've done a little. You've done a little bit of acting in your own in the films. You've how you make appearances in your films. Your own. The it's film. not deliberate. I, I was in. I've been in two. Right. And one was I was in Millions, which is the film that I made with Danny Boyle, and only because God, he might be in tonight. There was a, there was a, a guy. And I was, I was involved in this drug rehab project. And I said to Danny, this guy will be brilliant and he needs a break. And he came to the... And he was brilliant at the... He was amazing at the audition. Never showed up. Yeah. <laughs> and Danny just went, you're on. <laughs> so that was my acting yeah, career. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And I didn't know the lines. He, was really, he said, you wrote them. <laughs> yeah. I didn't bother learning them. Yeah. If you write them, you can make up new ones. That's yeah. the beauty of being yeah. the writing and acting in your own stuff, yeah. which I occasionally do. That's the only role I get where I'm not playing a perverted postman. <laughs> <laughs> but I am ready for if, if Danny Boyle is in and has a perverted person <laughs> in any of his upcoming films I'm very happy to do it I mean it's where to start with you again it's uh, I, it's astonishing the amount of stuff you've done I'm a writer I like I like to think though I'm terrible at it I'm terrible at sitting down and doing it I feel as though I should say something you get you know it's alright you don't have to you probably won't have seen it in my stuff so it's fine but um, you you are creating stuff all the time, it's and, and it's all amazing and impressive and getting made. Is it? Yeah, well, I, don't know. I think so. But getting made is like a thing, isn't it? Because like getting any film made in Britain is an achievement. It is. So um, I did a film a few years ago um, called The Railway Man with Colin Firth. Yeah. And it's it's a true story. And on, <laughs> I've got a, I had a daughter who, when she was ill, when she was little, she was very ill, and she wanted to go on this school trip, and she was in year six. And I said, I'll come with you. I'll put you on the bus on the way back. She needed, she needed a parent with her. I'll put you on the bus on the way back. And then I'll go over to Berwick-on-Tweed to interview this guy. Right? It sticks in my mind. So I put her on the bus. Year six, she went back home. And I went, got all these trains across. Berwick-on-Tweed interviewed this guy. Made the film. When we made the film, she had to get a babysitter for her second baby. <laughs> <laughs> 
It takes a long time, which is why I got into podcasts, really, because it's quite immediate. The guy, yeah, that's why, yeah, they, the they guy died on the right. last shoot. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm impressed about, I've got two children, and I can't, I'm so tired that I cannot do a single fucking thing when I sit down at my desk. And you've got seven children. Yeah. I mean, I know they're spread out a bit. And yeah, grown, they are spread grown out. Up a bit. But how, how they're just nicer than your children. They must be. <laughs> <laughs> how do you... How do you cope with seven children, first of all? But how do you then write with seven children? That's just... Well, I never, I never didn't have them. Do you know what I mean? Like, that was what... When what, I started... You were born with them? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, when I started writing, I, yeah. I already, for a living, I already had kids, so it was all... Not In fact, I think that's how I got it, because yeah. I went for this interview at Brookside, and, um, which had just started, and we just had a baby, and I was, like, desperate to get work. And I managed to leg this interview at Bookside. And I'm sure I got it just because I looked too young, you know, and yeah. too hopeful. And they were like, so do you want to tell us anything? And we said, just had a baby? Like, oh, God. <laughs> Give him a job. Yeah, so I got the job, yeah. Oh, that's nice. Well, I'm glad that helped. It hasn't worked for me, no. Yeah. Actually, I did get a job because I, uh, I had uh, kids, which was working on Breeders, which is a new sitcom <laughs> coming out with uh, Tim from The Offices in it, Daisy Haggard's in it. Uh, I got sacked for not being good enough. So uh, it's, it's, it's put me off writing. So my kids have ruined that as well. I've got to write six episodes of a sitcom in the next month. It's only for the radio, though, right? No, you'll do it. You'll do it. It'll be great. It'll be great. <laughs> do, you, do you write? Are you the kind of writer? Because I, I, I don't really like to plan. And I've seen you say you don't like those kind of books of how to write movies. But do, you, do, you, do you still plan ahead? You don't like the three act kind of. No, I, like, I do like to just jump in. I'm, yeah. I wouldn't recommend it because no. I haven't written any hit films. I've been mean, going around going, this is rubbish, all this verse chorus thing. <laughs> I've never had a hit. It's like, I, well, I am like, the way not to do it, it might be me. Well, you know? I think it's, but, but I, I agree with you because I think you, 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 you find those writers who do write to the, you know, they know every beat and they know when you've got to hit. Yeah, so. you know when you're being manipulated, yeah. don't you? And yeah. It's just dishonest. And it's sort of, you, can f- you can find that a bit naturally, but also it's more surprising if it doesn't. Well, I think the, the thing is that people are paying to go on courses to learn stuff, and you know, how to, you know what shape a story is because you've yeah. been brought up on film. Yeah. You know, it's, it's in your DNA. If you can tell a joke, you know about the timing of a story, so you don't need to be taught that. I don't okay, think it's, it's somewhere in you. In so there. it's just this six episodes of this sitcom are just going to come out at some point? Absolutely, yeah. Perhaps I've been doing it for about two months. I've written two half an episode. I've got all the characters already. It's called? it's called Relativity. It's the third series. The thing is, thanks to some big Radio Four <laughs> fans there. The thing is, a lot of it's just stuff my mum and dad have done. Well, my dad really has done. He hasn't done anything funny this year. <laughs> my dad's got dementia. And he's yeah. an absolute font of yeah. uh, hilarity. That's good. I wish my dad had dementia. <laughs> Really recommend, but it. it wouldn't be good for this sitcom because I've already had a character of dementia. I can't go back and do that again. Yeah, you my, can't get I had my grandma in it, and she died. So that's <laughs> no use to me, is it? Can't bring her back, can I? Oh, she wasn't dead after all. Do some more funny dementia stuff. It was a very moving thing. Um, but I, you know, I knew a lot about you. But I, I, but the thing is, with being a screenwriter as well, is your name doesn't really necessarily get put above. No, the I, that is like a non-existent yeah. job. Being a, you know, I think Ben Hecht, who must be like the greatest screenwriter, he said, um, if you're interested in prestige and fame, you'll get more prestige and fame riding a tricycle. <laughs> <laughs> These are, I, should I tell you a story about that? Like, yeah. Okay. So when I was about, I, I had a film in competition at the Cannes Film Festival. I think it was like my first, my, my second film, I was really young. And Cannes Film Festival is like, it's serious. You know, and, and, and competition, there's only like 12 films in the competition. Yeah. And, and oh, this is how seriously French people take that competition, right? So um, you, have a, you have accreditation, and if your film is in competition, you've got a different colour accreditation. I went to Mass on the Sunday morning. The priest was giving out communion. Le corps de Christ, le corps de Christ, le corps de Christ. He got to me and went, le corps de... Ooh. <laughs> he stopped. Thought he was going to give me a second host. Yeah. Have another one. Go on, go on. Take a big look. And that's a bloke giving out the body in, of Jesus, and he's impressed. Yeah. Fuck, this guy's yeah, better. Whoa. This guy's better than transubstantiation. 
And then, like, so when your film is on in the evening, like, only, like, the, the, there's a slot where the competition films go on. Everyone yeah. knows what time your film's going to be on. And they, I mean, it's amazing. Like, this is, <laughs> they send this fleet of limos to collect you, and you go along the croisette, and there's all these people uh, with cameras along the croisette. And the limos crawl past, and people crouch down and take pictures. So you can see these flashes going. <laughs> and they crouch down, it's the writer. Like, <laughs> so you can see this like illuminated Mexican wave of contempt go by and you get out the bottom of the red carpet and they get out and they walk up and people are screaming you know the name Woody Harrelson was in this they're going yeah. Woody 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 and then you've got this like <laughs> but I mean well there's there's a lot of... I'm looking at, I'm looking at uh, the wrong page. There's, there's, I'm going to tell you we're in dinner, ladies, next. Uh, there's... <laughs> no, you, I've gone back. There's... Uh, I mean, there's, there's so, so many. So that was Welcome Sarajevo, I presume. That was, yeah, well... That, that, which is yeah, uh, uh, Hillary and Jackie, yeah, that, which I didn't know was you. No. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, there's so many. We and shot the, that in Liverpool. Hillary and Jackie is a film about the cellist Jacqueline Dupre. And we shot every single scene of it in Liverpool. Right, and I, I went and watched this screening of it in the Philharmonic with my mum, and it's like the first time she'd seen it, and she went. Because it was all different places in Liverpool, done up to like Moscow and Jerusalem and London and everything. But she was recognising the one, she went, this isn't a film, this is the 60 bus route. LAUGHTER <laughs> um. <laughs> But, you know, you've worked, you've worked with Michael Winterbottom, 24-hour party people, yeah, Cock and Bull story. Yeah. That uh, got into the Cannes Film Festival as well. It? That yeah. was very... That was an ill-matched thing. That didn't right. really work. Because <laughs> we had a press conference, and, like, for Tony Wilson, God rest his soul, and I really mean that, he brought, like, this whole entourage of waifs and strays with him. Right. And Cannes Film Festival is very, very serious, and we had this press conference that should have been... Michael, you know, holding his earlobe and talking about existentialism. And it was this, this bunch of fat neck and Tommy and all these people. <laughs> and uh, someone asked the question. I don't know why I'm telling you this story. Someone asked the question. Someone from the Christian Science Monitor asked the question. And I said something very nice about Tony. I said, you know, the Thatcher years were terrible. And he held up this beacon of beauty. And um, God, my daughter's here. I've, gonna, I've got to swear. I'm quoting. I'm going to swear, but I'm going to okay. quote somebody, right? And Rowetta was sitting next to Tony. I said, he held up this beacon of beauty and, uh, and it, it was hope for us. And she went, yeah, but he's a twat, though. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he turned on her. And it just turned into this absolute full-on fight. <laughs> People chucking stuff and everything. And like, I just remember looking out at these like, foreign journalists with the things in their ears going, what did he say? What did he say? And were you thinking, shit, why are you doing this now? I could have put this in the film. Yeah. This could have been the end of the film if you hadn't got the film already. I was just thinking, why did they want to watch this film about <laughs> a TV presenter from the Northwest? I was mistaken for Tony Wilson. You know, last week, I don't know if you were here, I was, I was mistaken for Brad Pitt by a taxi driver. Yeah. I was also mistaken for Tony Wilson, which is more insulting, I would say, given he'd been dead for quite a while and was quite significantly older than me. So two people I've been mistaken for. I was mistaken for Patrick Clivert. Okay. I don't know who that is. Is he a... He's a Dutch footballer, okay, but he's yeah. a black guy. Okay. And I was... <laughs> I was mistaken because I, I was walking around Amsterdam, the kids were playing football, and a ball came to my feet, and I went to pass it back, yeah. missed, and it went in the canal, and he went, thanks, Clivert. <laughs> <laughs> and I've also been mistaken for... I, I, the, I, I was... Like, a film that was on that got nominated for BAFTAs, and they, did, they, they do this thing with the brochure, and they get a famous photographer to take loads of people... Uh, loads of portraits... And I was younger and slimmer and better looking. And there was an actor that I used to get mistaken for, which was Alan Cumming. Oh, yes. You know Alan Cumming, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. No, don't say like... A little bit. See that. No, you can't. A little bit. Right? Little okay. Bit. So I went, and Rankin, who you look a bit like. Okay, actually. I'm off the mistake. Rankin was going to take my photograph. And I went, it's the same, I was on the same day. So I must have been doing it alphabetically. So I rang at the door, and Rankin came to the door, and he went, fucking hell, Alan, Alan you look terrible. <laughs> No, I'm not Alan, I'm Frank. I look bloody brilliant. On <laughs> <laughs> a good day. Um, <laughs> well, let's, uh, well we'll, we'll probably come back to the films. Uh, let's t- talk about um, the, the Olympics. Oh, right, okay. Just because, 
I mean, has it? You wrote the opening, the bit, the whole opening to the 2012 Olympics. Yeah. Which everyone knows, right? So everyone knows you for that. Well, not in my demographic, because my demographic is little kids, so I don't right. have to talk about this, which is great. Right, okay. <laughs> but it was such a hopeful, I mean, an, an amazing thing to be involved in, obviously. Yeah, obviously a pack of lies. <laughs> well, it turned out Re- to be. In retrospect, if you, did yeah. it, if you did it now... Because that's, like, as wrong as anyone's ever been <laughs> about anything. I just wonder whether, like, all the evil people in Britain saw it and went, no, we're not having that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that we're not, might we're be true. We're going to turn this around. I think it might be true. Because <laughs> it was a, <laughs> a wonderful, multicultural, inclusive, beautiful... Do you know this story about Giles Curran? Giles Curran uh, was in the stadium, but he right. had to file. And he got there early and he watched all the greenfields and thought... And he, he, he filed this, what he thought was a very funny piece about it. He, I think he called it Pomp Rob Teletubbies and said it was shite. Right. And then, like, about 15 minutes later, it was like, oh, this is the best night of my life. Right. But he'd already filed it. Okay. <laughs> and it went, so it went out in some editions, early editions of the Times and not in later ones, and he had to kind of... He wrote this piece. It was very gracious, actually, about... Okay. You know, yeah, he was wrong. Yes. <laughs> I think it's wrong. I think that was wrong. I think that was wrong. You know, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Yeah. No, that isn't true, actually. <laughs> that, that is a myth. There's a lot of people who are not entitled to opinion. <laughs> people who have not looked stuff up yeah. about global warming or... <laughs> Yeah. Finance or yeah, you, they're not. No, shut up. <laughs> we are not sick of experts. No. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you? I mean, say like that as a writing job. The I, I know you did it with uh, Danny so Boyle. How how did you go about creating that extravaganza? That's such you know, and the scope of it. It I mean, limitless like, as it well. It was like, I mean, like on a film, the job descriptions are very, you know, blurred anyway, aren't they? Yeah. So it was, it was like I was the writer in the room. Yeah. And there was a designer in the room, a brilliant guy, Mark Tilsey, and there was a musician in the room. So I would just like pull stuff together. And there were, there were like lots of writing jobs to do that was like, you know, putting it in together in a sequence, but just also writing that page of A4 that went to the dance captains to explain what they were trying to do or. Yeah. Writing letters. You had a up... lot of it just do, do some shit in there. I yeah. haven't got an idea. Dan- dance yeah. around a yeah, bit. Just, uh, yeah. You come up with something. Do it. Do an Olympic. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> but was it literally anything you wanted? Because the scope of it. I mean, you got the Queen in there jumping out of her. Yeah, I mean, the, the Queen had to be in it. You know yeah. that, don't you? Like, that's the law. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we had this washing line. Because it was like. I thought where I was really happiest creatively was in year six um, in Sister Paul's class. And we thought, so we did a lot of stuff that you did in year six. We used to do topics where you like fill a little scrapbook. So we did quite a lot of that. Yeah. And we had this washing line with the, which had the timeline on it. And we put things on. The one person who really genuinely sat down and wrote something was Mark Tilsley, who was, who was the designer. And um, he came in one day with that whole thing of the Queen parachuting in. That's absolutely nothing to do with me. Okay. That. He came in with it, and Danny went, you've nicked that from somewhere. Uh, you know, you, you've forgotten, but it's, like, it's in Johnny English or something like that. But put it up anyway. And we put it up there, and he was like, we can't use that. And we, because someone's put a good idea up, you can't think of another one. Right. I think the only person who got paid in those two years was Mark's son, who we gave 50 quid to, to spend time on YouTube to see if anyone done anything like this. <laughs> like and uh, and um, we just couldn't get it. And then... then about a year, maybe 18 months out, we got a producer, Tracy Seward, who's just this astonishing force of nature. And she said, what is this? And Danny went, well, that's Mark's idea for how to get the Queen into the stadium, but obviously we can't do that. And she went, well, well let's, let's see what we can do. This is a long story. Okay? Yeah, no, good. Okay, so she, um, she fixed up this meeting at the palace and said, <laughs> it's so clear. She went, oh, you don't need to come, honey, because it'll just be really boring, and I'll go. And um, we'll just, you know, because we don't really want anything from them except permission to find out what she's wearing on the day, permission to have an actress portray her in that way, and also I'll take some snaps and we'll find somewhere that matches the palace. So she went to this meeting, and there were Dutchy original biscuits. (laughs) 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 Which she texted about, went, there's Dutchy original biscuits. She gets those for free. And then free. the Queen's dresser is a scouser. Right. And she's with the Queen all the time. And, and 
we could talk all night about these coats and things. But anyway, she said, so what we want to know is what the Queen's wearing on the day so we can make a match. And uh, we'd like to match somewhere for the palace. And her dresser went, uh, why is that? And she went, well, because we're going to shoot somewhere that matches the palace. And she went, you have to shoot it here. And she went, well, that's very nice, but it doesn't have to be. And she went, well, she's not going anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> and Tracy went, right, well, no, we didn't mean the Queen to be in it, to be honest. We just wanted... And she went, well, I wouldn't mention that if I were you. <laughs> she's very, very keen. She's very keen. Very, very, very keen. So she, she put herself up for that. <laughs> she gagged in. The Queen yeah. gagged into our ceremony. <laughs> but, but did she have to audition for the part? She didn't have to audition. <laughs> but she looked at this beautiful... Um, what do you call it? Like the drawings that Mark had done. What's it called? When you do all the shots. Yeah, the old... The thing, yeah, the yeah, thing. thing. You, you work in films on... Storyboard. Storyboard. I've written a few films, so I don't know. Yeah, I write radio sitcoms. Fuck off, mate. We don't have them in those. <laughs> she looked at the storyboard and she named the helicopter. She went, that's a Western Scout. It will yeah. never fit under London Bridge. What do you mean? It's <laughs> incredibly helicopter brand aware. Yeah. <laughs> so, right, this is, I'm going to finish the story. Right, okay. So, a few months before the story, so we shot that. That was in the camera. You know, that was the thing that we knew was safe because everything else could go wrong but this was a film yeah. so it was fine except for the parachute you, the guy could die but apart from that <laughs> he would die outside the stadium nobody needs to know um, <laughs> and the exec producer rang me up a few months before and went um, have you seen The Sun newspaper and I went well mate can I, can I explain this <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> Went, well, I think you should look at look at the website, and they they had it up. They had photographs. They had the whole story, everything that was our our ace up our sleeve. The whole thing was right. in the paper. And he went, "You need to ring Danny and tell him." I went, "No, I don't. <laughs> you need to ring Danny and tell him." And he went, "No, no, no. You need to." So well, it's like I'm going to mass. <laughs> and, uh, came back a couple of hours later. And he went, "Look at the, look at the website again. Look at the website again." The sun had run it on April the first. And every comment under it was, you must think we're stupid. <laughs> That's obviously photoshopped and that nobody believed. So the, the one time in its entire history that the sun told the truth. <laughs> oh, that was brilliant. And that shows the rest of the country you can do without these things. You don't have to have it. You don't have to have it. No. Um, <laughs> Terrific. Um, I'll ask you some emergency questions. Uh, I'll ask you them. I'm very interested to know uh, if you could have one item from any museum or art gallery in the world. I'm guessing you're going to go local, but let's see. Uh, what would you take home with you to keep if you could take, take one thing and keep it? Um, the Lewis chess, man. Ah, that's my one. You can't have them. But it's, it's noggin, isn't it? Because <laughs> you, know, you love that noggin the Yeah, dog. yeah. I knew that you'd done that, but yeah. Like, I'll fight you for them. Okay, well, there's enough. <laughs> you, could have, you could have the reds and I can have the whites. Do you know what I love, though? Do you know that big jar, that big um, Siberian crab in the front of the muse- Liverpool Museum that's been there since you were a kid? I've always liked that. <laughs> I'd, I'd have that, then. Yeah. You can have the chessmen. They are good, though. That guy who found one in his drawer. The, the Lewis, Lewis chessmen. chessmen. Yeah, yeah not, not the Siberian the, crab. Tiger, no. <laughs> You'd know it was there. You'd be able- <laughs> It was wrapped up in paper. <laughs> um, but that guy, that's annoying. That's what I want to happen to me. Yeah, that was annoying. I yeah. yeah. Why does that always happen to other people who find the Mona Lisa in their, <laughs> their bedroom? So you know the Mona Lisa was stolen, don't you? you know, I, yeah. It was stolen by Vincenzo Perugia. Okay. And do you know what happened after that? I don't. Go on. You, people you know. queued up to see the space on the wall where the Mona Lisa used to be. And it was, cool? it was better. It was better. <laughs> <laughs> then all the art galleries suddenly realised walls were better than paintings yes. and the world fell apart. You know, a lot because you, you, the, the, the framed is about... Uh, not, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah so it starts you, with that story. Well, you know, so you, a lot of your film ideas you're taking from at least real life. I mean, some of them yeah. are, are more real life. That, that one was... 
was based on a real story, but well, it was based on two. Well, based yeah. on a, the real story was that um, all the paintings from the National Gallery were taken away in the Second World War because Churchill was worried that working class people would steal them and flog them, or that the Germans would bomb them. But either yeah. way, he was not in it, into it. <laughs> and um, so they were hidden in a slate mine in North Wales. Yeah. And I've always thought that was very intriguing. Yes. Story. And then the other story that it's based on is like something that I did which is that there's a castle in Scotland called Drumlanrig, which has a very famous art collection. And nobody goes to Drumlanrig. Drumlanrig Castle is technically open. It belongs to the Duke of Buclu. Buclu. And um, it's open like 20 minutes on a Wednesday. You know, for tax reasons, it's open very sort of obscure <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's And there's a lady with a, che- a clipboard and you can go in. And I, we were on holiday then. I was talking to someone in a pub saying, you should go because... They've got a Leonardo, they've got a Rembrandt, there's nobody there. It's not like going to the Louvre. You don't have to stand behind a red thing. You can walk right up to these things and look at them. So somebody, two days later, this is re- I swear to God this is true, <laughs> somebody drove up in a Vauxhall Nova, walked in, said hello to the lady with the clipboard, walked up to the, to the Leonardo, the Madonna of the Yarnwinder, took it off the wall and walked out the front door and drove off. It's the biggest art theft in British history. Um, and he just literally drove off with it in a Vauxhall Nova. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is really true, and I feel totally responsible for that. Right. Because I you... think he was in the pub, yeah. and he heard me go that and thought, that's a good idea. <laughs> and I've told that story before, and that is sort of why I wrote that book. Then they finally tracked it down, and that painting is now in the National Gallery of Scotland. The guy who nicked it, his name was Boyce. And he's from Muggle. <laughs> How oh, mad is that? Wow. Was it you? No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Do you clone yourself? Uh, it's very popular. Uh, so. <laughs> hey, sleepyhead. Why so sleepy? Oh, it's because your mattress is a bag of potatoes and scrap metal. You should try a nectar mattress. With award-winning layers of comfort, you can sleep easy knowing you got incredible value. Mattresses start at just $499, and you get hundreds of dollars in accessories thrown in, as well as a 365-night home trial and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com. <laughs> um, good. Well, so when you... It, it, what, because when, when you, you, with millions, uh, you, you came up with the idea of, as a film, right? That was the, and then you turned yeah. it into a book after the. After well, nobody the wants to, like nobody wants to make family films in Britain because yeah. if you make, you know, an art house film, you're up against Giorgio Yogalopoulos or whatever, whatever. If you make a family film, you're up against George Lucas yeah. or Disney or Pixar or whatever. So nobody wants to do it. But it, that that script was passed around for years, and everyone would go, "That's a brilliant script." What made you want to... Because you, you now... I've seen you say you see yourself as a, a children's author yeah. now. What made you want to go from writing those more adult... the adult films and then, and then you've decided to go some of the more family films? It's quite a... Well, that's just... Like, that's still kind of the only really family film that I've done right. because but you can't do well. it. Well, I'm doing one... I'm working on, like, a big DreamWorks film now. Right. But um, I, I'd always wanted to write children's books. I love children's books. I read a lot of children's books. So the story millions is that, like, that, do you know Delaine Lee? Do you know what Delaine Lee is? Do you know that place since on Wardour Street? And all the edit studios are in there. Oh, yes, yeah. And it's like a rabbit warren of edit studios. Yeah. So there'll be someone, you know, editing some tiny obscure thing, and then the next five rooms will be James Bond or whatever. So Danny was in there uh, editing 28 Days Later, and someone had discarded a copy of the script of Millions, <laughs> and he started to read it in one of those little kitchen right. things. Right. While he's waiting for the kettle to boil, and then he, he rang me up and he went, "That this is great. I'll direct this. Why has nobody offered it to me?" And he was literally the only director in Britain who it hadn't been offered to because it didn't have any zombies or drug addicts yeah. in it. And then we met, and he went, "This is a completely brilliant script up to page twenty-nine." And then after that, shit, <laughs> but, but we'll fix it. And so we went out to dinner, and we were talking about books. And Danny is this like incredibly voracious reader, but also a very adventurous reader. So he'd be reading stuff about. AI or about the political situation in Kazakhstan. And I'd be sitting there going, mm. and Millie Molly Mandy is very 
<laughs> underestimated it's got a kind of minimalist vibe and uh, rural idle thing and it's you know it's under you know, and he, 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 so he just said why don't you write a children's book and I went because I've never had an idea and he went two little boys find a bag full of money and honestly I'd never thought of it till that point that you could do it as a book yeah so I just I legged it home and and did it as a book between him agreeing to shoot it and it getting shot right yeah <laughs> so that's the fastest I've ever done anything. It's, well, it's, you know, as a writer, it just that happens sometimes, right? When you just so... It, does, it has happened for yeah. a long time, but where you wake no. up in the middle of the night and you can't... And how treacherous is it? Yeah. Because then you think you can do that. Yeah. It's like the time that you went to school on the bus and the bus came just as you got to the bus stop and the next bus was there and, it, and yeah. so you thought, I can do school in 22 minutes. It's like, no. <laughs> you did it once in 22 minutes. Do you know what I mean? So, I like, do. from then on, I've been like, yeah, I'll do you another book, three months. Uh, <laughs> it'll be translated into 40 languages. It'll win the Carnegie Medal. Don't yeah. worry. It's like, never <laughs> happened since. But it's, I know sometimes just an idea grabs you enough. I've, you know, I've had ones that nothing has happened with, but that I've had to stay up all night, you know, yeah. getting down. Yeah. But the fact is, nothing's happened yet. It's well, that's true. Yet, isn't well, it? I'm, again, you know, I'm getting on. I've been waiting. There's a drawer full of scripts, but fine. Yeah. Liverpool's the right place. I was thinking about this. You were talking about this before. Like, Liverpool is like this city of, like, there are ghost buildings, like, yeah. like the films that you've not made. <laughs> yeah. It's like, because the cathedral, the Catholic cathedral should have been this huge thing by Lutyens. And there was a Will Alsop cloud building that was going to be at the... I can walk around Liverpool thinking, a completely different city in your head of failed projects. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that I'm going to be this. And that I'm going to just that. leave my scripts in the kitchen down in Wardour Street yeah. and hope that someone picks them up. Now I know how it's done. They've <laughs> been there a good long time. I mean, it's sort of interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, you've been writing for a long time, and it's obviously through skill and talent. But there's, there's still, even with you, there's those elements of luck. Oh, yeah, that... completely. And and sometimes maybe it's not luck. Maybe it's just waiting. An idea just has to find its moment, sure. yeah. and you can just wait for it. And suddenly it's like, oh, that's. That's been waiting for this to happen. Yeah. I'm trying to be cheerful. I know, it's terrible. <laughs> it's horrible. I, I, what I should it's get on horrible. is a bad writer. That would make me feel better. Say that again? If I should get a really bad writer on who isn't doing very well, it would really cheer <laughs> me up. <laughs> Go, yeah, well, I've got Radio 4 sitcom. <laughs> I haven't written it, but, you know, it's on the way. <laughs> and so your, is it your latest children's book is Runaway Robot? Yeah. Which I was hoping would be mainly about me and just <laughs> finally... A road, the robot escaping, uh, but <laughs> gaining a consciousness and going, this isn't right. <laughs> um, but it's not about that. I, I had a little look at it. I had the book and I, 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 you, you've, I paid for it twice. Yeah, because I had the book at home and then I, I was going to read it on the car journey up and I left it at home. That sounds disturbing that you're going to read so, it. So, uh, well, oh, you weren't I was going to have a look. No, I've, I was being driven. Uh, and so I've got Ben Bailey Smith read it to me instead. On the oh audio. yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah. But uh, it's, a, it's a nice... Uh, so the idea is about uh, a boy who's... Yeah, it's a true story. Well, two, true, true stories, story Well, yeah. cause in the 20s, this guy called uh, Captain Roberts built Britain's first... Uh, this is kind of an Olympic opening ceremony story because he was, he was running this big science fair and the Duke of York was supposed to come and open it. Okay. And he said, oh, I can't come. And he went, stuff you then. And he built this robot to open the science fair. <laughs> a replacement... Duke of York. Right. And it's Britain's first robot. It, to be honest, it's not really a robot. It's yeah. like a... Oh, I've forgotten what the word is. Android? No, it's a not mechanical an Android. thing. I've just uh, suddenly just got an image of, you know, the current Duke of York having a robot, and that's... It's, that, yeah, that, that's all... <laughs> I've just got that. A terrible scenario has played out in my head, I have to tell you. Do you want to know something really terrifying? <laughs> yes. Since please. the time of Henry VIII, every single person who's been Duke of York has become king. Wow. Well, Just it's not going to happen this time. It's not going to happen. After the 31st of October, anything. <laughs> so we built this gigantic robot, which became a kind of huge hit because no one had ever seen anything like it before. And it toured the world and it could, it could shake hands with you. And it was interviewed in the New York Times and it was this massive sensation. And then just before the Second World War, it vanished and everyone's forgotten about it. So I like those little gaps in history. Yeah, you know, yeah. What happened to Eric? So I've said that he ended up in left luggage in um, Speak Airport. <laughs> <laughs> I still call it Speak Airport. Uh, John Lennon Airport. Okay. Um, and <laughs> the other thing that happened is that I was I'm involved in a charity. I was a little bit involved with a charity, um, and they were dealing with like 
truant kids who mostly sag school and get, then get on a bus and stay on the bus all day. <laughs> this one kid who got him, used to get himself smartened up and go and sit in departures. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, how cool is that? <laughs> so it's sort of about him. Right. It's <laughs> a yeah. tribute to someone who could sag with style. <laughs> No, it's not, but and also it's not, it's it's lovely to have that kind of a hero of a book who's who's naughty, yeah, and you know, and and he's got a false, he's got a prosthetic yeah. arm as well. Of course, I keep forgetting that. Oh yeah, it's right quite now. important. Yeah, I haven't I, I haven't got through the whole thing. No yeah. spoilers. Okay, okay. I will. Right. I'll I'll read to my kids in eight years. I just find it I find it difficult to. Uh, I, mean, I love audio books. Yeah, because I, I can I can digest books on my yeah. dog walks and when I've got yeah. a, a driving the car around, but I can't read anymore. I'm just, just cause because of the, well, because of the kids mainly. I'm just so tired, <laughs> and there's just read there's, to them. There's no well. I read them. You know, I read Mister Men to them, but that's yeah. not. That's not. I mean, it's good, <laughs> but it's not. And there's still there was a question I did on House of Games, which I'm on uh, the champion of champions of House of Games. Hey. Can't tell you how it went, but a question came out for the Mister Men, and I couldn't get that right. And I just been, read every single Mister Men book to my daughter. What so Mister Men problem? Goes, what Mister Men question can you possibly? Well, get it wrong? was quite. It was quite liberal because they do a round where they have the kids of the the people who work on House of Games write questions, and so some of them are four and some of them are five, and they're quite. They're quite. You've got to think yeah. outside the box. And this, this is a book. The, who wrote the book is about a man who ate a lot of eggs and said something, something, something. And it's Mister Mister Strong. I think he eats lots of eggs. Although I thought it, it was my second choice. I nearly got it. Uh, but I thought Mr. Greedy... Mr. Greedy does eat a lot of eggs as well. Yeah, to be fair. But Mr. Strong eats lots of eggs. Do you like the Mr. Men? <laughs> I'm not mad about no. Mr. Men. No. Some not, of it's I'm a bit dated. Some of it's a bit dated. The Little Miss books are more dated than the Mr. Men. Yeah. But some... I mean, they're sort of encouraged. Like, Mr. Greedy has to become thin, and it's, it's sort of not... I feel PC, it's about you know? a kind of bunch of eccentrics and uh, people with various disorders who are not being tolerated. <laughs> being <laughs> I think it is. Held up to ridicule. But my you kids... tickle on, Mr. Tickle. But uh, my kids, <laughs> you tickle if you want to. I, I, no, I agree with that, I and mean, I felt that. And my wife's very strong and stuff like that. But I, the kids love them, and they my two-year-old just loves them. Yeah. He just says "Mr. Men" all the time, really? just, and then doesn't really. You get the book, and he doesn't really look at it. But Mr. maybe Mr. that's Mr. why your kids are exhausting. That like. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't, well, I don't know. I, I find it. I, I was never a big reader. And right. I think maybe you have, maybe to be a good writer, you have to be a big reader, right? I don't know. I mean, I do read a lot. Um, but I, I am quite audiobook dependent as well. I don't think... So. Actually, no, seriously, I, some of my key reading experiences weren't me sitting alone with a book. They were listening to Kenneth Williams on Jack and Ori, a teacher reading to you as a treat on a Friday afternoon, and my dad reading to me. Yeah. So they were kind of... You know, they were audible experiences. They were shared experiences. It's yeah. not... It doesn't have to be, you know, alone in a garret with a... Well, and you want your books to be, your kids' books to I be read, to read, by, them. Yeah. read with parents. Yeah, definitely. Even though they, they're for sort of kids who are, a bit, who are old enough to read on their own, but it's still yeah, nice but to... I, I, yeah, you know, with my kids, I loved reading to them. We used to fight over who was going to read to them until quite... I mean, and there's, there's loads of kids' books that you don't... that Some of the vocabulary is, like, maybe beyond your kid, but when you read it out, it makes complete sense. Sure. So, like, so like I would say Just William... Yeah. Part of the gag is that he uses long words, and that's really, really funny. Edith Nesbitt, who I absolutely adore, but that would be quite hard to read if you were little, but once someone's reading it out to you, it's brilliant. You yeah. Know? So. I do remember my dad reading to me, but I also... It's disappointing as a parent, I guess, if the kids don't go don't for it. Don't get it, yeah. My yeah. dad wanted, always wanted to read Swallows and Amazons to us. Right. And we really hated it. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like... I know, all I remember about it is his sort of repressed anger that we wouldn't that we, he was so wanted to he'd obviously loved that book as so a you kid. remember that but you don't remember that the lead character is called Titty <laughs> if I'd worked, if I'd if I'd listened <laughs> I, I bet he's I bet he pronounced it differently but yeah it's, it is just to stop that happening uh, well, they're, they're, well they're fantastic books I don't we don't need to tell you um, you know but um Let's talk about, we've mentioned House of Games, let's talk about your own quizzing, which is pretty good as well. I mean, your TV... I was in, yeah, go on. You were in University Challenge. Yeah. Uh, and got to the final of University Challenge. Yeah. And one University Challenge, you got, basically got all the questions right and nobody else in your team did. And Reading University you were playing scored zero. <laughs> 
But they were a really good team. Were they? Yeah, because they got through they to the final, didn't they? Got to the final and scored zero in the final. Yeah, just because you I was on them. fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did you do I mean, is, is that something It you... just clicked just before the show. I thought, oh, the whole point is that if you buzz in early, buzz in the minute you know the, you can guess what the yeah. question's going to be. Because the questions are quite long yeah. and they get easier. Yeah. You know, so but then you have to be quite clever to do that. Yeah, well... I mean, that's, I very, that's, very, that's very much my tactic on House of Games. I buzz in before I've, I've really got yeah. any idea. And you've got to do that on House of Games. And they, are, they put more pauses in when they put it on the telly so people at home can have a go. I'm, when the, especially when the next lot come out, I want you to know I was buzzing in really fast. As it turns out, a bit too fast. Because I got lots of but things wrong. But you only wrong. remember the ones you got wrong, don't you? Oh, I, I can't. I'd still, like... All the quiz shows I've done, I still wake up in a cold sweat. I, I had no idea that they... Because I, I wasn't looking at the score. I was just like... And then I did look at the score, like, about five minutes before the end. I thought, yeah. shit, they've scored zero. And part of me was like, you better give them one. Yeah. And then the other part of me was thinking, it's a better story if they don't get any. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a horticultural question yeah. on. And... What's her name? Anyway, yeah, a horticulturist was on the other team. Okay. And I could feel that, that it was going to be a horticulture question. I was like, boom, I'm in there. Wow. Yeah. Brutal. And she was broken. You've got to be. <laughs> She's broken. Is that the only one you've done? Would you like to do, have you done Pointless? I did Mastermind. Did you? No, I... I've not done Pointless. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I, I keep hinting. I keep well, going, I can get you Richard. I know Richard Osman, I'll get you on. <laughs> you can come on with me if you're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you know stuff, you can come on. That'd be a, that'd be a nice I'm sorry, Richard Osman, by the way. Yeah. Really? So, I mean, I'm that very is, like, small. ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, we're both quite small. Yeah. He's, he's like you. If you stood on my shoulders now and put a coat on, Seriously. be a bit shorter than Richard Osman. Yeah. <laughs> you did. So you did Mastermind? How did you get on Mastermind? Well, see, I, Was it proper Mastermind or Celebrity Mastermind? Celebrity Mastermind. Yeah, it was Celebrity Mastermind. Yeah. And I chose Oliver Postgate as my oh. subject. And was kind of enjoying it a bit too much. I got them all correct, yeah. but kind of relished the answers a bit. But I, I was way ahead on the first round, and then Mark Watson was the other, was, uh-huh. the, was who won it. Because he really, like, in, in the second round, I was so pleased that I'd honoured Oliver Postgate's memory and done a good job of it, and people were kind of, you know, all warm about it. So when the second round, the general knowledge round came up, it was like, you know, who wrote whatever, and I'd be sitting there. Edward Elgar, interestingly, he's from where... You know, I was, like, really chilled. And yeah. then Mark Watson came on and he's like... Just yeah. jumping in and getting... Yeah, you have to do that. You can't give yeah, anecdotes. So he was like, mark. yes. Yeah. And my mum was sitting behind me as well. Yeah. That was a bit disturbing. But she really has annoyed with the show. And Ted Robbins was the warm-up guy for that. Was he? Wow. Yeah, he came on and sang a few madrigals because it was... He was the, the, he was the, he was the, he was the warm-up guy when I did it. I did Rasputin on mine, which was properly hard, not like a children's subject. <laughs> and uh, I had to learn, like, all the... F- I don't speak Russian. He so was Russia's greatest love machine. He was Russia's greatest love machine. That's it. I just listened to Bodie M song and other stuff came up. Um, but Ted Robbins said that I... And I, was, I had a bit of a beard and stuff, and he said, I, you win the award for the person who looks most like their subject. It's quite, it's quite, it's quite <laughs> that is good. That's good. <laughs> That's a good one. I got uh, 35 points and didn't win. Uh, I'm not going to carry on about it. You listen to the podcast, you know. <laughs> you know. Right, I'm going to ask you some emergency questions. Oh, no. Um, before we crack on with something else, uh, uh, let's go... What, what's the, who's the most famous person you've been in a lift with that you didn't get in the lift with? Can I answer that slightly? Not in a yeah. lift. Okay. But that film that we're talking about, The Railway Man, yeah. with Colin Firth, yeah. I, he said to me, what, what's the best thing to do? And I said, we should go and meet Eric Lomax, who is the real guy, and he lived in Berwick-on-Tweed. So we, went, we, went, we got the train up to Berwick-on-Tweed, and Eric was quite frail, because it had been 100 years since I started the project. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we said we'd be there at like 12.30, say. And we got off the train, it was only like quarter to 12, so we said, do we walk around the town get a feel to it. And it started to rain, so we ducked into this doorway. And we just stood in this doorway waiting for the rain to stop till it was time to go around to Eric's. And it was Greg's doorway. And this is like about two weeks after um, Colin had won the Oscar for the King's Speech. Yeah. And I always think about that day, think there must have been people <laughs> going around to Berwick on Tweed that night going, I saw Colin Firth in Greg's. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's. 
It's not exactly a lift, but it was... I sat next to Colin Firth at uh, and, uh, Hammersmith um, Theatre Pantomime, I think, something like that. Right. But I had to Google who he was. was like, <laughs> it was sort of like you're sitting next to him and I had to work out who he was to, to remember his name to tell my wife who he was. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Because yeah. I, I couldn't, in the moment of being next to him, I knew enough about him, I just couldn't think yeah, of his name. Yeah, I have had a moment like that because um, my daughter, who's here tonight, when she was little, she was quite ill. Oh, I've already told you that. Yeah. And we were, she was in Alderhay Hospital in the build-up, which is children's hospital, in the build-up to Christmas. And in the build-up to Christmas, unless you are... I shouldn't say this, but unless you're very ill, they will send you home. Okay. So we were, like, desperately trying to get her to go home. But as the hospital empties, all these celebrities come and visit the kids who were left there who were, like, don't want to know, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and footballers come and everything like that. And it's, so there's this weird thing of like the hospital's nearly empty, but there are people from Hollyoaks wandering around. <laughs> so strange. And I went to the loom and came back, and she was uh, sitting up in her bed chatting away to a guy in a suit, a kind of baldy guy in a suit. Because uh, so you're kind of waiting for a consultant to discharge you. So I said, Oh, hi. He, he, and he turned around to me and went, She's bright as a button, isn't she? And I went, Yeah, she's amazing. And uh, she's just an incredible kid. And uh, can she come home for Christmas? And he went, Well, I, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, listen, mate, you know, she's got six brothers and sisters at home. They, they're really missing. They're just, I'm not trying to pin you down, but, like, <laughs> what's, your, what's your, you know, what's your feel? What's your feel? You know, like, and it, he went, honestly, I have no idea. And I went, look. And he went, because I'm actually the elderly but surprisingly effective Liverpool midfielder, Gary McAllister. <laughs> Come on, Gary, you must have an idea. <laughs> That's good. But I saw, you know, when you're Googling someone, they're sitting next to you, it's quite, you're worried they're going to see you Googling. Yeah. And that, yeah, that I didn't is... want to annoy Colin Firth by, being, <laughs> by not knowing his... You know, you should know, shouldn't yeah. I? Yeah. Seemed like, seemed yeah, like definitely nice. Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> seems like a nice guy. So, um, let's ask... Seems like a nice guy. Um, uh, that's too similar to what we just talked about. Let me, let me. Oh, oh no, I won't ask you that. Your kids are in. <laughs> Would you? <laughs> but do you know? If you no, have you, no okay. Um, <laughs> w- Would you rather have a tit that dispenses talcum powder or a finger that can travel through time? I like talcum powder. Do you? No, yeah, yeah, there's no one never chooses talcum powder. I haven't thought about talcum powder for a long time. No. No, a finger that can travel through what time. What would you do with your finger that... I mean, in a way, you're a writer. Your finger can travel through time. Oh, thank you but, for saying so. What so. would you do if oh, your actual darling. finger could travel through time? I would go and nick the Lewis chess pieces from your... <laughs> <laughs> it's a good use. That is exactly... That would be some game. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to ask something else then what was it ah oh, damn never mind um, never mind so it'll come up um, have you ever seen a ghost um, my auntie Bretta used to see ghosts a lot because um, she was one of those women who cleaned ships before they left port and sometimes if they, they would clean a ship they were cleaners and they'd come onto these big liners and if, if it was time to go they would just go yeah. and these women would be then put on a little lighter and brought back in amazing you know yeah. so you go down and she lived on Scotty and she, so she would go, go out and she every time she seemed to see a ghost and she was completely unfazed by it she'd go oh I was on you know the, the, um, I was on the Empress of Canada there and um, there was a lad in a tartan shirt all shivery and he'd, he'd obviously drown. so I put him on my November pious list <laughs> that was it you know she'd just go ah oh. <laughs> Can't do anything about it now. <laughs> Put him on my pious list. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so religion's obviously a big part of your life. You've basically married a nun, basically. <laughs> well, she was, and they gave us made seven children with a nun. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't sound very religious. Well, she just bred her own religious order. She's a mother superior. There you go. There she is. That was so good. your wife, you met your wife at university and she was studying divinity, I suppose. No, she was. I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> to go to and plan. Yeah, no, she was going to be a nun. Yeah, just yeah. genuinely. And you, was, yeah. t- you stole it I just from thought, Jesus. Nah, yeah, forget that. Jesus yeah. is going to be furious with He's you, maybe. He's so angry. A, Protestants are right. And B, 
Because I'm turning... Because the bread doesn't turn into me. Are you mental? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd have said, wouldn't I? It's I'd funny, it, it's funny because clipping. it's not true. <laughs> I'd have made it clear so there wasn't wars and stuff. Imagine if you get up there and the Amish were right. <laughs> Did you keep the Ten Commandments? Yeah. Were any zips or fasteners? <laughs> well. You know, the, 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 I think I went, I said, this might be wrong, but the Amish don't like buttons because... No, they're all right. Aren't they all right with buttons, but no. they won't have zips? No, I think oh, they no, don't like buttons because they... Uh, it was either because they were, they were really persecuted in Germany. And That's right, yeah, Was yeah. it because the guys had buttons? Yeah, I think it, there's a whole button thing going on. Or did they cut on, the buttons that. off? I can't remember what it was. I don't know. But I'm having a kind of button moon I mean, moment I don't here. think religion's as button-based as the Amish. <laughs> that's, that's where. But, you know, you're an intelligent man, and yet you still believe in God. What's oh, going yeah. on? <laughs> <laughs> Let's not take the piss out of like, the Amish. <laughs> but they're crazy made-up ideas. What's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, what, you want me to defend that? <laughs> I want you to explain why God exists. <laughs> Yeah. Are you sitting comfortably? Yeah. I'm open-minded. Just does, mate. I'm open-minded. Just does. It's all there. It's all I mean, there. it's a nice idea, isn't it? It's lovely. What if you get to heaven and you, you got it wrong? <laughs> what are you gonna, how are you going to feel? See, I haven't, I haven't lost out there. But, um, well, you have, because cr- I reckon God would be more cross with you for getting the wrong one than just saying... Oh, the wrong religion? When, yeah. Oh, no, it's the, I, um, it's the right... No, yours is right. There's no question about that. <laughs> There's never been any question about okay. that. <laughs> That's good. Um, no, we're not, we won't talk about it too much more. I think I'm right. <laughs> the annoying thing is, if I'm right, then I can't gloat over you. Yeah. But if you're right, you'll be. I mean, you'll be pointing downwards. Yeah, you, if you saw me burning in hell, would you I'd have you a out. laugh, worry, or would you, you get, get me out? out? Yeah, I get you out. Because it doesn't seem very. I think God's. No. If he burns me in hell, that's not very Christian, is it? No. <laughs> Should forgive me, shouldn't he? He will forgive you. Oh, yeah. Thank God. <laughs> Isn't that a problem with Christianity? Like, <laughs> that I can just mess around and then yeah, at the end go, structural. sorry. It's a paradox. Oh, sorry. So, like, Tony yeah. Wilson, he, um, his best mate was a priest because nobody lived in the city centre apart from him. And the guy who was the, the priest in the hidden gem, which is like, you know, you know he, he had this beautiful flat in the city centre, but nobody lived in the city centre. So, we and this priest were really good pals. And when Tony got ill, he was back in the fold, right? He was, he was a Catholic <laughs> again. And he rang Canon Clinch and went, uh, I want you to come and... Because they, they used to eat together a lot and because there was nobody else around. And he'd, he rang Canon Clinch and went, um, I want you to come to Christie's and see me. And he went, yeah, I was going to come anyway. He went, no, not as a mate. I want you to hear me confession. And Canon Clinch went, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have to bring a sleeping bag. That's going to take a while. <laughs> he said, yeah. Three days. Wow. Three days, he said. And it, he, this is what he said. He said it took him three days during which Tony told me all his sins and frequently forgot to, to express any regret. <laughs> uh, Tony will be all right. Got to let him in. That's, that's, no, you'd have to let him in. That's all right. Oh, dear. Um, Oh, I keep on. I, I'm just so tired. Keep thinking of. Oh, yeah, you know, tell you Parkinson, story. Parkinson doesn't say this, does he? I'm just. I just had a great thing I was going to say, and then. I, sorry, I'm going to edit this bit out to make, make it look like a genius. Should I tell you another Tony story? Yeah, go. Okay, so when I started working on that film, my wife isn't from the northwest and had no idea who Tony Wilson was whatsoever. And oh God, I've, I've told it anyway. It doesn't matter. Right? She had no idea who Tony Wilson was, and I tried to explain who it was. That he, he'd been this news presenter, but also this kind of music mogul and, and blah blah blah. And in the script, Tony read the script, and he hated the script, but he knew that he had to love it, you know, to print the legend. But that, that had to be something that he could get hold of. And he went, he got me in a corner, and he was poking at me. He was going, why have you said that I boast that I went to Cambridge? I've worked with people at Granada for 30 years. Hardly any of them know that I went to Cambridge. I never boast, because in the script, he keeps going, by the way, when I was at Cambridge. Yeah. He goes, I never, ever talk about it. Ever, ever, ever. I don't know why you've put that. And it's like, that's the thing he objected to. Not, you know, you pissed away other people's money. You yeah. consorted with prostitutes. You're on drugs. You ruined, you brought gangsters into Manchester. No, no, fine. But don't say that I bragged about going to Cambridge because <laughs> I didn't. So that night, 
I went home and I was quite shaken. And I put the telly on, and Tony had a late-night quiz show, a sports quiz show. So <laughs> the Donna went, because she'd never seen him, went, Denny, he's on, come and see, this is him, this is him, you'll see him, come in. And as she walked in the door, the, que- the answer to the question was, Cambridge United, and he went, no, it's Cambridge United, my old university town. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Who, I've got to talk to you about Doctor Who before, oh my goodness, we've had, it's been so lovely meeting you and talking to you, uh, you're a fantastic man, but, um, <laughs> but. You've, also, you've also written for Doctor Who, no, we, but my fans are, are very into but. Doctor Who, so we have to talk about the, uh, writing for Doctor yeah. Who. I wrote the I, least popular episode of Doctor Who ever. Which one's the least popular one? It's called The Forest of the Night. Yeah, I, don't, I couldn't picture that one when I looked it up. Yeah, good. But the other one... It was brilliant. It's really it's good. Robots. Yeah. 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 If there's robots, I yeah. like it. And it's the one with the robots that uh, want everyone to be happy and then yeah. murder everyone who isn't happy. Yeah. Which is a brilliant. I mean, it's one of the greatest modern Doctor Who episodes, I think. I just love that thing about AI. About I've just read this new uh, James Lovelock. James Lovelock's just written a book, and he's 100 years old. And he's written a, quite a lot about AI in it and how you know, we have these kind of ideas about AI, but it's really only a, an extension of us. You know, it's not something that just does it itself. And yeah. it's, it's only one aspect of us, which is this sort of rash, rational, literal, linear thinking. And he, James Lovelock's the guy who came up with the Gaia hypothesis. Right. But he's not a scientist. He's a technologist. He, he invents stuff. He invented stuff for NASA. For, he's invented how the lunar module landed. So he's like a problem-solving person and believes really strongly in intuition and... Ideas that are kind of just at the corner of your mind. So that's exactly how robots don't think. Yeah. So I was very interested in kind of the literalism of robots. There's a really great chapter in um, Runaway Robot where the kid says to him, let's catch the bus. Right, so yeah. And because it's quite literal, yeah. it does catch yeah. the bus. <laughs> so it says, it tried to get away, but I caught it. <laughs> Yeah. Do you think robots will be... I mean, I've got lots of questions about robots, but do you think... <laughs> I could be talking about robots. We could have just done robots. <laughs> we could have just done robots. It's like almost the same. But do you think they'll be able to... I mean, that's... So, technology's moved on so fast and so quickly that do you not think robots will be able to um, I think the problem that we have with robots is that because we, we are thinking, Eric, you know, we're thinking yeah. the six-foot-two robot that looks like us... Was the robots? You are working with robots all the time, soft robots that yeah, you don't no, see. Yeah. Like an algorithm is a robot, yeah. really, you know, and yeah. uh, all the kind of translation stuff that you use. So it's kind of interesting where it will come in, and we're kind of looking in the wrong place for where for, our, for where artificial intelligence comes in. You know? Yeah. Do you think Kevin. they'll take us over and make us their slaves? Well, Lovelock does. You know, yeah. Lovelock thinks that there's going to be like they'll keep us as pets because we're <laughs> helpful. But uh, yeah. No, but I, I think the thing is that what, what's kind of worrying about that AI thing is that AI is programmed and designed by a specific group of people. And it is gods make things in their own image. Yeah. So, like, you, there, there is a reason why certain algorithms... Like, so, you know, the, you must know this stuff about Google having a kind of CV searching thing. Yeah. That they had, like, a robot that searched through CVs. Yeah. And it was even more sexist and even more racist <laughs> than they had been because, of course, it, it was doing it based on what the appointments had been in the past. Right. It learns from you. Yeah. It, it, it just amplifies you. It doesn't come up with a new set of crap. It doesn't say, do you know what? Let's build a better world. No. It just goes, let's extrapolate from Richard. And, yeah, and they terrible kind of that. Whole <laughs> That's why they won't put me in charge of the robots. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not just that. Um... <laughs> Look, oh, we, look, there was so much more to talk to you about. Um, I haven't even mentioned Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I mean, that is unforgivable. What is, what's, um, <laughs> absolutely unforgivable. What is coming, what is coming up uh, for you that you're allowed to talk about? Well, that I'm allowed to, well, I'm still, like, touring around doing Runaway Robot. So yeah. if you want to get Runaway Robot, you should get it. It's a brilliant book. Um, and I'm working on... DreamWorks are doing a film of the book that I did before that, which is called Sputnik's Guide to Life, which is like a proper big old DreamWorks thing, which is really hard work, but kind yeah. of amazing. Yeah. So that's what yeah, I'm doing. Hard work, is it? Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, well, I'm a massive fan. I'm a massive fan of things I didn't even know were you, uh, and now I know they are you. 
Uh, and it's been an absolute uh, honour and pleasure to have you. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a massive round of applause, Frank Cottrell Boyce. with me Richard Herring and my guest Frank Cottrell Voice thank you to Pest for providing the music thank you to everyone at the lovely Liverpool Playhouse thank you to Gladwell British Comedy Guide ACAS Go Past the Stripe all those cunts I am indebted to my producer James Hingley I am also indebted to Ben Walker and my executive producer this week was Hugh Lind Evans not that one uh, oh it is that one uh, he was quite Welsh but uh, that's not that's not a thing to hold against him. Stop being racist. I despise you. Uh, thank you very much uh, to me, Richard Herring, for producing it and coming up with the idea of doing this. This is a fuzz go past the stripe and sky potato production. Why not head to richherring.com slash gigs and find out where Rahalastapa is coming next. We're doing lots of shows in London. We're doing some shows in Birmingham and Norwich. And they're sold out or very close to selling out. So buy your tickets quick, my fan friend. Don't leave it too long, my friend. <laughs>